Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello there, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name's Tom Marvin, I'm one of the senior technical editors at BikeRadar.com. Joining me today on the podcast is Vicky Balfour. She's a regular contributor towards MBUK and Bike Radar. She's worked as a bike mechanic for a number of years and now works in event mechanics and teaching as well. Vicky is a special needs parent who enjoys cycling with her family and disabled daughter Cece. And today we're going to talk about adaptive bikes. Um, so welcome to the pod show, Vicky. How are you getting on? Thank you so much for having me. I'm really well and super excited to be talking about adaptive bikes. They are brilliant and they're the way forwards. <laughs> Excellent <laughs> stuff. Now, this isn't your first appearance on the Bike Radar podcast, is it? You were on um, in an earlier series that we did with Catherine Moore. Yes, that's right. I was on talking about, I think it was getting your bike ready for spring and getting yourself ready to get going. Um, so more of my mechanics hat than my special needs cycling hat. But uh, no, it's great. I'm very honoured to be back. So thank you. Ah, well, it's, it's, it's good to have you here. So um, as per my little introduction, we're going to talk about adaptive bikes today. Um, it's a topic that we have a buyer's guide for on bikecredit.com, written by yourself, Vicky. Um, but it's one that we sort of thought would be worth talking about on the podcast because, partly because it's actually really interesting and there's a lot of kind of little bits of tech in there. But also it's, it's a topic that perhaps isn't covered very often in the cycling media and one that we thought maybe should be. Um, so I guess my first question, Vicky, is what is an adaptive bike? And maybe the second part of the question is who are they actually for? Yeah, so, um, I mean, basically an adaptive bike is literally any bike um, that's got changes that make it easier for the rider. So that could be something as simple as having an electric motor. It could be actually that it's got sort of different styles, so it's a trike or it's recumbent or what have you. Um, so, yeah, it's basically something that makes it easier for the cyclist and enables them to get out cycling and enjoy it. 
Um, and in terms of sort of what kinds there are, there are a huge number of different types of adaptive bikes that have, as I said, so there's um, adult tricycles that have got three wheels rather than two. You've got adapted bicycles, so two wheel bikes that have actually had the shape of them and the style, um, the geometry of them really changed to make it easier to cycle. Uh, you've got recumbent bikes um, and you've got bikes that actually you can put a wheelchair right on the front of um, and bring bring the second rider on with you. So, uh, yeah, it's huge, huge field out there. Yeah, it sounds. I had a little poke around on the uh, on our buyers guide, and yeah, the, the the variety of bikes available. You know, we we look at mountain bikes or, or road bikes typically, and think that you know, there's such a vast array of different bikes out there. But if you look at them on paper, they all look actually very similar. But um, you know, adaptive bikes they completely wildly different shapes and sizes and and uh, requirements, I guess. Yeah, totally. It's I mean, as as a mechanic, I get so excited when I see them <laughs> because just the engineering that's gone into them is fantastic. Um, I mean, I think probably recumbent bikes are the area that you get a lot of um, to neurotypical non-disabled people riding simply because they like a different style of bike. So that's something that people who don't have any encounters with the disabled sector might well be aware of. And obviously tandems as well. Um, but yes, there there's huge variety and some really clever engineering going on and a lot of thought that goes into it that makes it far easier for the individual to cycle as well um mm. yeah i mean i think there was there's basically i think it's something like 22 percent of the uk population is classed as being disabled um so that's 14.6 okay. million people so it's a huge market um and most of us if we haven't necessarily got immediate contact with sort of somebody in our immediate family or friendship group who's disabled, you may well find in the wider family or friends of friends and so on. It, it is something that is essentially it's a lottery um, and it's uh, yeah, but it's it's we will all have need at some point or have our life made better by adaptive bikes, I think. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I sort of I hadn't really sort of thought about, I guess, much beforehand was, you know, you, you sort of have a an impression of, you know, people with sort of physical disabilities requiring slightly different um, different shapes or styles of bikes in order to to match those those different abilities and stuff. But there's there's a whole world out there that that aren't quite so obvious, you know, as it was saying the neurodivergent people. So. It's not just your your typical, you know, uh, a tricycle, for example, with someone who maybe has poor balance. There's, there's a wide range of, of needs and, and adaptations that need to be made. Yeah, totally. I think when I was researching the buyer's guide, what was really interesting was um, talking to um, the guy from Ice Trikes, who they make recumbent trikes and some really cool ones, really mm -hmm. amazing ones. Um and he was saying that he'd had, there was a, a neurodivergent youngster who um, had come along and his parents had sort of said, oh, no, we're ne we can't get him cycling. We're never going to get him cycling. And basically over the course of a short, fairly short amount of time, this youngster who'd been intimidated by other forms of cycle actually ended up in a recumbent cycle and was off. And it was, that's that sometimes it's just looking at things a slightly different way or, or taking a slightly different approach and understanding what the barriers are and removing those can make make the whole world accessible uh, totally mm. yeah in terms of in terms of making that world accessible what what would you say the the general challenges faced by those 
out in the in sort of the real world who need an adaptive bike you know as a as a regular cyclist you know that there's very few barriers for me to actually just getting on a bike and going to pedal wherever i kind of want to go and go but that's obviously not the case for for many people yeah it's true i mean i suppose oh, and it is it's I don't want this to sound negative, but there because there are ways around it. But there are still some really huge barriers. Um, I think Wellbeing for Wheels, when they did their latest survey, the actual infrastructure um, that we have is one of the biggest problems. Um, for example, my friend, one of my best friends, Caroline, we ride together with our children, and her son is in a wheelchair adapted bike. And we get to some points where you've got those sort of metal barriers that are designed to stop motorcyclists, but actually they stop adaptive bikes as well. And it means that sort of what would have been a great piece of flat, easy terrain is suddenly off limits. Um, so I think infrastructure, I think something that we're becoming more aware of in general in the media is this concept of visibility and that if you can't see yourself reflected in other places, you're less likely to do it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really true of adaptive cycling and adaptive bikes. Um, so visibility, knowing that it's actually an option. Um, and finally, it's cost. Um, so again, for example, a, a, a standard wheelchair accessible bike that's got that isn't it's not especially fancy is going to be sort of seven to nine thousand pounds i mean it's really it's, yeah it's a huge amount of money and that's not because i mean partly it's because a lot of things in special need world do cost more hmm. um but it's also partly because of the the engineering that's gone into it and the small production levels and so on hmm. so it's yeah it's sort of accessibility visibility and then infrastructure mm -hmm. that said on the flip side of that those people with disabilities who do cycle absolutely adore it and say that it has made a huge difference to their life it does make it easier once you learn to overcome those obstacles which disabled people are often and their families are often very good at doing then you can actually get a really great quality of life and that's for our family that's been our experience for sure is that it's it's finally given us something that every single member of the family once we're on a cycle enjoy it in the same way um, mm -hmm. which is brilliant yeah so in, in in terms of those challenges if you were to sort of to go out and create some sort of you know cycling infrastructure and cycling routes is it is it mostly about removing sort of the actual physical barriers then so making sure that the surfaces are good that the gradients aren't too too sort of steep or you know the surfaces aren't too bumpy and, and rocky is that like a really important consideration i think you were saying when we were discussing this podcast earlier on that there's um we are cycling we've got a there's like a cycling uk route that's been designed to be fully accessible yeah i'm so happy i literally it's just come out today and um, it's in Norfolk. It's called the Rebellion Way. And a friend of mine shared the post and sort of said, this is an accessible route. And I, I, I'm not challenged, but I was inquiring. I sort of said, well, how, how do you know it's accessible? And she said, well, actually, Cycling UK asked a hand cyclist to go and use it. And the interesting thing about hand cycling is, especially if you don't have electric assist, is that actually it's it's really physically difficult. Obviously, our muscles in our arms are less strong than our muscles in our legs. Um, so to me, if a hand cyclist is able to do it, then actually the large proportion of um, disabled bikes are going to be able to access it as mm -hmm. well, and disabled cyclists. Um, 
I mean, for us as, yeah, with CC, because obviously that's my my main experience, we have two types of cycling that we do. One where she's on a, a pull-along trike, which is attached to my bike, and it, it will take her right through to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think when we go to do the Rebellion Way, because we are planning to, I think mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, she doesn't know it yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to do it. Um, I think we'll use the pull-along trike because um, I can't, although she's physically able to turn the wheels, the the actual cognitive process of steering a bike, changing gears, controlling a bike, as well as the sort of the visual um, input of being able to read different surfaces um, mm-hmm. is huge. So... I think if we're if you're looking at long term routes like that, then you are looking at some often at some form of tandem, especially if you've got somebody with physical and cognitive disabilities. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm looking at somewhere for Cece to go and ride, where she rides independently on her own trike, um, it actually it's it needs to be totally car free. The transition areas need to be very easy. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that long, but it does need to be a slightly interesting route. So mm-hmm. we've got a local Betts hanger, which is an old, we've in Kent, got a surprising number of collieries, <laughs> which um, people right. don't expect necessarily for Kent. But a former colliery was turned into sort of a cycle track and our sort of our local cycling clubs use it and things. But we tend to go there with our friends with their adaptive bikes because we found that actually we can just go and do a loop or two Mm-hmm. Um, and then go to the cafe and so on. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, I do appreciate that the variety of adaptive bikes, you need a variety of types of infrastructure and accessibility. Um, but I don't think that's too much to ask for human beings mm-hmm. in this day and age. Right. Yeah. It, it, is it a fair assumption that, um, accessible in terms of sort of public transport and ability for you know people who have different needs is pretty challenging at the moment even if you're if you take out sort of leisure cycling but you know as a, as a form of transport is it fair to assume that it doesn't really link up at the moment yeah totally I mean I can't so we live in Canterbury and it's actually Canterbury itself is a surprisingly accessible cycling city we've got quite okay. a lot of cycling network if I wanted to get on a train and go somewhere else, there's absolutely no way I could do it, even with a with well with a a trike. I couldn't mm-hmm. get. They're very heavy, very big, um, mm. and with a pull along trike, which is a real shame because, for example, we've got the Viking Trail, which goes from Mar- well, it goes all the way along the coast, and it's really it is great. It's mainly off road. It's mainly traffic free, really accessible, lovely flat tarmac. But I have to drive to get there. So, and the, yeah. driving means, luckily, I have a van. I'm very lucky. Um, mm. But if you have a regular car, you can't fit a pull along tandem in it. Um, you can't get a trike in it. It's, and it is, it's those kind of barriers um, that do, yeah, that do limit where you're able to go. And yeah, I mean, yeah, public transport is essentially out off the cards. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. 
Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Uh, hopefully I'd like to move on to slightly more positive yeah. sort of topics in a minute um, but again one of the other sort of when I was doing a little bit of reading around there was um, a, a, a Cycling UK I think were involved in in a, in a uh, campaign to change sort of legislative understanding of um, adaptive bikes because if you have people who you know who have a disability and need a mobility aid whether it's a wheelchair or a mobility scooter like you know accepted an adaptive bike you know with pedals people are finding that they're being excluded from pedestrian zones or unable to access shopping centers or you know public buildings because they're in inverted commas on a bike yeah that seems and I think, seems a slightly backwards yeah it does doesn't it because I mean, and, and, but I think you've actually without, I mean, and this is an entire series of other podcasts, um, <laughs> with disabilities, often it's a fight to the bottom. Um, and it is actually um, enabling people and giving people that chance to, so for example, cycling rather than using a motorised scooter, if you were on an, a, a trike, you would be getting the health benefits. They've got huge baskets on the back. Mm. Actually, they could probably the 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 cost to run it is lower. Yes, absolutely. That should be that should be um, encouraged and uh, prioritised. But yeah, but it is the way governments tend to run things. Sadly, is that it just seems to be. It's like no, that's. You're, you're too able or you're too mobile. It's sort of, yeah, it's, it is. I, I mean, basically, I completely support the campaign. And I think a lot of cycling, a lot of people say that adaptive cycling is easier than walking. It's easier. And there are so many health, mental and physical benefits from doing it that we should just do everything we can to encourage it, really. Um, so I thought it'd be good to sort of talk about some of the individual types of adaptive bikes that are out there. We, we mentioned a few of them earlier on in the podcast. We talked about trikes, electric bikes, tandems, and, and hand cycles, that sort of thing. But I thought maybe we could delve into slightly more specifics about some of those, um, if there's any sort of you know interesting facts or like interesting sort of takes you, you have on each of them. Um, we'll start with trikes, because I think that's possibly the most um, the most obvious one to start with. Um, trikes have three wheels, which I'm assuming really is there for the the, the purpose of, of aiding balance. Yeah, totally. It's um, Trikes have been around for years. I mean, we, we were saying we both remember people sort of around our area using them. Um, and they're great, sort of almost like the original cargo bikes, because you can mm. use a lot of, you can carry a lot of stuff on them. What's interesting is that actually unlike... Um, two-wheel bicycles where a bigger wheel is better or is seen to be more efficient um, and he's better at sort of moving over things trikes actually function better with smaller wheels because you get you've got sort of more maneuverability um, they are generally lower to the ground so you get greater balance Um, what's also interesting is you can get um, trikes with the two wheels at the front, which are fantastic if you've got spatial awareness problems and so on, because you don't have to, you can see whether you're going to fit through something. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is, that's really good. I haven't, we haven't tried one of those. They're really uncommon, um, but I think they are, yeah, they're really, they are a good way of doing it. Um, and then obviously you've got the traditional style with the the two wheels at the back. Um mm-hmm. 
I mean, what we forget as well is that actually recumbent bikes and hand bikes are essentially trikes as well, but they're just mm-hmm. not that they are trikes in terms of having three wheels. But yeah, so adult size tricycles, great. They've got, they're good for balance. Um, if you get tired, you can just, you don't fall over. You don't sort of, mm-hmm. you don't have to stop. Um, and actually the electric assist ones will often have a walking speed sort of um button for want of a better word so that you can actually stop pedaling and still move forward um, uh-huh. so that's that's really good uh, yeah in terms of the mechanics of of how they work if you've got the drive going to the rear wheel or, or wheels do they do they drive one of the two wheels at the back or is there a differential in there like how, how does it work from a mechanical sort of point of view yeah it tends to literally just it will drive it will just drive the whole of the back um okay. both at the same time generally um or I'm trying to think I think Cece's actually drives her front wheel um so if you've got if you yeah you've the electric assist comes through the front on hers whereas the actual uh-huh. pedaling cranks so you've almost got all three it's almost all wheel right. drive when you've got electric assist as well um it is so something i think that is going to come in probably with electric assist certainly with trikes in this sector um is almost sort of like automatic gears i think it is beginning to come through there are some some systems because so Cece, when we use her electric trike she hasn't got the concept of gears at all mm-hmm. so we just have it at one level and it's just sort of moving forwards or stopping um and uh, yeah, so I think that will be something that probably will come more in the future. Mm. I hadn't, yeah, hadn't considered that as yeah. a. As no, a well, I yeah. and it's really funny because I hadn't until I put her on it. <laughs> it was um, yeah, yeah. It's just it wasn't. It literally, it's there's an awful lot that I that I hadn't taken in before we got the, her independent trike, and it is largely to do with the actual cognitive process of cycling it is a huge Mm. it's a huge amount of brain work that goes into cycling Um, Mm. might be part of the reason why we find it stimulating as humans yeah 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 okay and so you say Cece has um sort of a traditional trike can you say she's got a a pull-along one as well yeah so we started with a pull-along um there's a company local to us in Kent called Mission Cycles who make them. And we'd been given a small one by another family. And then when she eventually outgrew it, um, we bought a new one. And what I loved was that actually, comparatively, the the brand new adult size pull-along trike ready to go was, I think it was about four or five hundred pounds, which given the the cost of all other kinds of cycling is mm. is amazing it was really it felt like sort of something we could actually buy into as a family and just go for it in the same way that you'd buy a a neurotypical child a bike or a a non-disabled child a bike um and you have a bracket so you can buy multiple brackets different members of the family have it um and yeah and we just pull her on that and what we didn't realize was actually just where over sort of a few years she learned to cycle that her fit her legs got the sort of the physical motion and she got that muscle memory so that then mm-hmm. when we put her on a trike actually it was more about steering and controlling it than uh, about okay. the the muscle memory um yeah but it's yeah i did and, and this comes back to the infrastructure sort of like 
some places where we go, like down in Hythe on the coast near here, there's a lovely military canal and you can go along it. But to get from the car park to the canal, um, you have to go along the road. So we have to, I mean, it's probably only a couple of hundred yards, Mm. but it means that we have to sort of almost shepherd her (laughs) along Mm -hmm. the road and it's it's not that safe. Um, It's that kind of joined up thinking really that, that, needs to look at or, or needs or places where that isn't an issue need to be flagged up more put it the other way because there are definitely yeah. places that uh, yeah that you can do it but like truly traffic free routes and things mm. yeah completely as a friend of mine shared with me apparently up in keswick in um, cumbria apparently there is a i think it's either six miles in total or three miles there and back concreted or tarmacked cycle route um walking path that just looks amazing so hmm. um yeah that's definitely gone on the to ride list as well i was gonna it's, say yeah, yeah make the trip up north yeah yeah it's uh, yeah it's i think that'll be great um excellent but yeah so i think old railway lines are an area that are ripe for development yeah because they're fairly flat yeah. and yeah yeah they're nice and traffic free excellent one of the other bikes that came up in discussion before when we were planning this was um the wheelchair tandems and, and carriers again mm. and so, again something i'd never really i guess considered um could you sort of tell us a little bit about those yeah i mean they are so we've as mentioned earlier our, our good friends who their son is quadriplegic has quadriplegic cerebral palsy so basically mm-hmm. affects all his limbs as well as his brain um and so they've been a, they got funding for this fantastic um wheelchair bike but rather than having uh, so what it actually has is because they're able when they transfer him they're able to lift him out of the wheelchair he holds his own weight and they turn him around and put him into the seat on the bike um Mm -hmm. and so that means he's able to actually sit in a different chair uh but still have the support he needs um the downside of that is that when they built these chairs or created these wheelchair tandems like that, they didn't crash test them. So you can't transport the individual in that wheelchair bike, unfortunately, in a car, in a vehicle. So it means right. that when they go cycling, they or they've actually managed that we were thrilled the other day, they managed to get in their VW transporter, they managed to get his wheelchair, the wheelchair mm-hmm. bike. Um, and then three or two adult bikes and a um, a child's bike, <laughs> and it was oh, it heck. was amazing because up till that point, they were having to take two vans everywhere to go um, right. to go cycling. Um, but yeah, that's great. And then other friends of ours whose whose child wasn't able to do that, so didn't have the body control. They have a bike where you actually wheel the whole wheelchair onto a platform at the front, and it locks in place. Um, mm-hmm. And those, I mean, both those bikes are electric assist because, as you can imagine, they're incredibly heavy. Mm. Um, but what I love about them, so when is that actually when you're cycling it, you're able to lean forward and talk to the person, the passenger at the front, and they get the full panoramic view. Uh-huh. Um, the downside is in the winter it can be a bit cold. <laughs> so yeah, wrap yeah. up warm. Yeah, <laughs> lots of blankets. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's amazing. There literally is. I can't think of any reason why pretty much anyone couldn't be on a bike mm-hmm. these days. Yeah, you, you mentioned there that the the bike uh, has electrical assist. Do you, obviously, electric bikes have um, 
you know, they use widely mountain biking and road cycling increasingly. But do you think that their real sort of utility is aiding people who are less able to get out on those bikes then, whether it's a, a traditional two-wheeled bike with, with normal handlebars and normal sitting position or something a little bit more bespoke or unique? Yeah, I do. And our our family experience, so my mum's got Parkinson's and when she developed, well, when she was diagnosed with it, um, she actually found that although she could cycle and cycling gives her a great number of pain-free days, which is brilliant. So cycling itself is good, but for her, the actual problem was literally just starting. And that's where electric assist can really help because it, you don't have to use your own body weight and strength to create that momentum to get going. So a lot of the problem with balance is in that initial phase of just getting mm-hmm. going. Um, but that's where actually the lighter weight electric assist bikes, like the ones that um, Isla Bikes have brought out. Um, and I mean, my mum's one was made by GTEC, who make the Hoovers and things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, I mean, sadly, they don't make it anymore because it's it's literally a really basic you have power, you don't have power, but it's light enough that if you didn't, um, if you didn't, if you ran out of battery, you could still cycle home if you needed to. Um, but yeah, so it's, I think, yeah, I think it is, um, I think it does just, I think people don't realize quite how beneficial things like that, just a little bit of momentum, a little bit of extra support up the hills, they can all help and make the difference between somebody being. confident on going for a bike ride Mm -hmm. or being afraid of it and therefore not going yeah well you mentioned their isla bikes and they're they're obviously a brand that has um a long history in in making bikes slightly different to um what the rest of the industry is maybe making they were sort of pioneers in in making good quality bikes for for children for example um but they they recently bought a a bike called the johnny or Joni, i believe um, are you happy to sort of introduce us a little bit to that and, and what, what, you know, maybe some of the other sort of brands who are doing kind of interesting things? I think Van Ram were another one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I really, I've, I've, yeah, I really love what Isla Bikes are doing. So the John, Johnny, yeah, likewise, I think I need to actually phone them and say, how do I say this word? <laughs> <laughs> it's, let's go with Johnny. Um, yeah. So the Johnny is, um, so the 20 and 24, they are developed for people with dwarfism. Which um, basically means that you have disproportionate length of limbs and joints. You can have some muscle um, muscle control issues and sort of joint pain and things. And so what they've done is they've actually looked at the geometry of the bike and made it work better, made it fit better, and the reach of levers and so on. And that's really exciting because it is. I mean, I I don't know the stats on how many people in the UK have dwarfism, but it is a it's probably not a huge percentage of the population, and yet Isla Bikes have really taken the time and invested the the, the sort of research into it and developed this bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's lovely in the Isla Bike community is that you see the second-hand market is still really strong, and the, and people they they look after the bikes and pass it on to uh, to others. And I'm sure that will be the same with with the the Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, Van Ram are another, yeah, another company that I really, really want to go to Holland. I want, they're from Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a family business and they have literally just, it's almost like they've got a sweet shop of bike <laughs> creation because they're just like, they come up with so many different the bikes and different styles of bikes. So our friends, uh, Caroline, their bike 
the wheelchair bike is one of is a Van Ram one. Um, the one that I found really interesting the other day is they I think it's called the Comfort, and basically it it has a this the where you pedal and the cranks are in front of you so it's got a really low step through so if you don't have much um balance or physical mobility you can get onto it easily the seat is actually at a level where you can stand with your feet on the side while still being able to cycle um and i yeah i just i think it'd be quite it'd be interesting to see how it feels i mean when people are cycling it they look Slightly similar to those sort of American easy rider type motorcycles. It's sort of yeah, so it'd be really interesting to try um, mm-hmm. and uh, and see. But I love whatever they come up with, and their videos are sort of on YouTube are all in Dutch. But they have these two women who are just great and so enthusiastic about what they're doing, even though you can't understand what they're saying. They're really it's yeah, it's quite well for somebody like me. It's quite addictive telly. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. In terms of sort of um, a, a sort of traditionally shaped bike, are there what sort of modifications might be possible to to help those with, with different needs? I think the one that sort of stands out to me is uh, so Hope, um, who obviously make a lot of uh, you know brakes and, and various other components. They have a, a lever with with two brake levers on one side for people who maybe aren't able to maybe they've lost a limb or they don't don't have control over their fingers on one on one hand sort of thing. Are there, are there people doing that sort of thing? Are there other little um, components that make life a bit easier in that respect? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is a really great one. The other thing that people don't know about is that the, a lot of the electric systems, so like SRAM Axis or Shimano Di2, you can program those so that you mm. can change how you use the controls. Um so that's one thing. There's on a really simplistic level, something that we find really helps CC is a weighted pedal so that uh-huh. it's always in one position. So, and it does actually have a cage on it, but even without the cage um, to put your foot in, just knowing that that platform is going to be stable and isn't going to spin around underneath you, that's great. People with hip replacements, you can get crank arms, adjusted crank arms, so that one crank goes round like normal and the other almost becomes a pendulum um Hmm. there's all sorts yeah and i mean even down to just different lengths of crank arm that can be um is somebody who's slightly vertically challenged (laughs) i've um, (laughs) I've discovered that 165 crank arms are amazing amazing (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're brilliant um yeah so no there's there's lots of little things um grips making those um yeah adjusting different shapes of grips and so on it's um, Mm -hmm. yeah it's it is i think just the more the more we can do podcasts like this the more the media the mainstream media can get it out there because even if it's not you directly, you probably know somebody who it might be might mm. be good for. And just the more you see it, the more it's out there, the more people want to do it. It's. And this ties in a little bit to my next question. Then, what um, organisations, charities, and brands out there uh, is, is there help with getting hold of these bikes, or you know, the you know who are the people who are sort of pushing it and, and, and helping find um, the resources needed. Yeah, there's uh, there's quite a network actually. So, um, on on sort of the the national level, there are a couple of really good um, community interest companies, CICs, that um, help and have just put out loads of information. One's called Get Cycling, which is up in York, 
And the other one is Wheels for Wellbeing, which we mentioned earlier, and they're mm-hmm. in London. But there are, I mean, there are going to be other ones as well, but they are very good at just making all this information about different types of bikes and so on accessible. Um, get cycling, sell secondhand bikes. They'll often let you come in and try them and um Quite often, when I was yeah, when I was doing the research, um, the guy from Get Cycling was saying that actually a lot of people come in thinking they want one kind of bike and actually leave with a totally different one. And when mm-hmm. when you think that the amount of money that's being spent often on these bikes is the same as a really top end mountain bike, um, you don't want to get that wrong. You don't want to make that mistake. Yeah. So it is good to be able to try. There are a lot mm-hmm. of small um, small groups where people can do inclusive cycling. So if I think about our area here, I know of at least three sort of clubs that are literally just run out of containers, run with volunteers. Um, They've normally been set up by placements for adults with learning difficulties or with families with disabled children and young people, and then they're run voluntarily. Um, Cycling UK is quite a good place to find information about organisations like that where you can join and um and ride and then in terms of funding itself um well people with with sort of recorded disabilities um they will get vat off purchases which helps obviously um but there are also local charities like so we and our friends um were very lucky to be able to we found a local foundation called cantia quorum who we we wrote a funding bid to and they decided that funding a a trike for cc and a bike for thomas was something Mm -hmm. that that sort of met their needs or their Mm -hmm. their sort of parameters and they funded our bikes which is amazing Uh, okay excellent yeah yeah so it's it is it's not necessarily that it's out there you just have to look a little bit yeah Yeah. okay when you sort of think about the sort of the future of uh, adaptive cycling, and obviously you're not like a spokesperson for adaptive (laughs) cycling but um (laughs) if you could sort of move the whole movement forward um what sort of things would you would you like to see um i'm talking about you know sort of accessible routes um maybe you know i think we sort of just vaguely very quickly discuss commute um getting involved with various little things uh, and maybe sort of bits of technology that maybe would make life easier with um adaptive bikes whether it's tubeless or motors that sort of thing and, and maybe a bit more acceptance across the industry yeah definitely it's um so i think yeah so for me it's i mean i think for me it is just awareness of of what it takes to be an adaptive cyclist so i the thing that sticks in my head was sort of cycling i used to cycle cc to school and we'd we'd get some abuse on the main road um or or on the road through our village Mm. and that stopped us doing it so actually Mm -hmm. yeah that just acceptance and acknowledgement of how much it's taking to actually get the individual on the bike and how fragile that confidence is Mm -hmm. um but that goes for any cyclist really um I would love there to be collections. Yeah, I mean, I've I've creating one on commute myself, um, and I think there's a few people who I'm chatting to amongst friends and so on who are doing similar things. But yeah, something where you could go and it would say this route is is this kind of surface, this and so on. In France, they have it. You can buy an okay. app, um, one of their IGE, so their equivalent of 
the OS maps. And it literally shows you every single cycle route in France. It's color-coded. Mm -hmm. It tells you whether you're sharing with traffic, whether it's um, a bumpy surface, whether it's tarmac. Something like that for the UK would be amazing. That would be brilliant. Yeah. Linking up with the changing places facilities, because often for people who are, who are wheelchair users, um, Having a disabled loo isn't enough. Having an actual changing places facility, which has got hoists, it's got a, a large bed so you're not having to change, um, sort of do personal hygiene care for the individual on the ground um, mm -hmm. and on the floor. That, that sort of link up and that kind of thinking would be brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, I think especially sort of something that I'm really happy to see in mountain biking is we're getting a lot more... Um, three-wheeler bikes and adaptive bikes, which is brilliant. Um, and Bowhead make um, make a three-wheel adaptive bike, and, um, and that's great. But actually what you forget is that the individual, they need – well, they – if it needs to be accessible for them to go from wheelchair into the bike. So that mm -hmm. has to be, and that's, that's fine. The match manufacturer, but actually if you're cycling and you capsize for want of a better word, if the bike yeah. falls over, you need somebody there with you to help write you. Um, and actually what happens if you get a puncture and mm -hmm. for that sense of independence, which is again, and freedom, which is what a lot of us get from cycling I think if there could be more development in making puncture-proof tyres, things like that, um, or just, or I don't know, maybe just upping the ante on the sealant or something, but makes means that the in individual is able to be more independent without that worry of puncture. Uh, I mean, when I teach sort of neurotypical and uh, non-disabled cyclists, mechanics, the, for a lot of people, it is that fear of how, what you're going to do if there's a puncture and how you're going to fix it. And mm -hmm. they've got the ability to do it. But if you're a wheelchair user on, in a trike or a three-wheel bicycle, how on earth are you going to get forwards to fix a puncture or beside yeah. you? So that must be magnified. So it's I think that's sort of that kind of thing, just that really simple, taking away that fear so that people can have that sense of freedom and independence, that is priceless. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think before we sort of wrap it up, I, I wondered if you'd be maybe happy to talk about um, a bit more personal about yours and, and Cece's especially experience of, of cycling because that's how you you've got into it all, and all that and I, I presume it's it's been a, a really positive journey for you for you both yeah it has it's been utterly life-changing it's mm -hmm. um so when I sort of I got into mountain biking and um and cycled with my son and that was great for getting a a sort of a regular teenager through teenage years. But when we started mm -hmm. cycling with Cece, we found that she actually developed this persona. She saw herself as a cyclist. And sorry, my dog is... <laughs> he's spotted <laughs> somebody going past outside. Um, yeah, so... Um, and she, yeah, she identifies as a cyclist, especially when she's on her pull-along and people will look at her and it gets her out into the community and people mm. sort of go, oh, that's great. And mm -hmm. and she loves it. So this summer we went to Brittany on holiday and we, um, yeah, we took the pull-along and a couple of bikes and we had some great days out where sort of, yeah, this, because France is so accessible, I was able to work out a route. And I think our favourite one was we we went, we were staying in a place called La Tabale and we went to La Quasic. But so we took, we cycled along um, through the salt marshes and got to, got to sort of a peninsula 
parked, locked up the bikes and then took a little ferry across to Le Quasic, had lunch and came back. And it, it means that, I mean, there's no way we could have physically walked. She couldn't walk that far. It, uh-huh. it, we would have had to have driven, even if we'd driven to where the ferry point was. Um, mm-hmm. But it just made a whole day out. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and it is... And it's something we do with my parents. So my parents and a lot of their friends, they're all in their sort of mid-70s, 80s. They all ride adaptive bikes. And we have these great cycle rides where we go off to the pub. And, uh, yeah, and Cece comes along. And then I get phone calls from sort of somebody in the group saying, oh, my grandchild has this, that and the other. Could you help me with a bike? Or my wife's just had a stroke and we want mm-hmm. to keep her riding. What? And it's just... It's just that word of mouth spreading out there. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it is. It's, I'm mean, the only way I can say it is that it's the one thing that we do, literally the one activity we do as a family where we all feel on a level. And that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you ever so much for sharing both sort of your knowledge and, and your experiences of uh, adaptive bikes with us. It's been really interesting. As I say, it's something that we don't cover enough, I guess, that sort of thing you know speak for both bike radar and, and the cycle media industry as a whole really. so um i really i really appreciate your time it's been really interesting so um yeah thank you ever so much vicky for that and uh yeah thank you for listening as well yeah my pleasure thank you so much for giving me this uh, this chance to talk about it and share the love so uh, yeah it's great thank you Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 